Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Podcast number 36, if you could believe it. I'm Cam Connor, along with my son, Chris. So, last podcast, or maybe even the episode before, you made some predictions. I believe you went with Tampa Bay for your Stanley Cup champions, and who you think are going to do well this year. So, now that we're, what, a month into the season, what are your thoughts, and would you change your prediction? Well, now that the teams have kind of played each other a few times and you can start seeing the stronger teams and looking at the standings and who's in last in their division, you know, Boston, like there's four or five or six teams that are really strong. And the Oilers, so far so good. I mean, they've lost the last few games here. But I think indicative of uh, how they started off this year, I, I think that they're going to have a good season for sure. They're going to be in the playoffs. And uh, with, with the core four, five, six guys that they have on the team, they're going to be a team that maybe you don't want to meet in the playoffs because the potential's there over a short term. Tampa Bay, you know, they're in the middle of the pack. I thought they'd be off to a better start. But they, stu- they still have the horses to move up in the ranks. So... You know, Chris, I'm second guessing myself. You're right, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with Tampa Bay right now. And uh, again, as the season goes along, we we could tell whether I'm out to lunch or not. So we have a bit of a retraction from a couple episodes ago. You were talking about Paul Baxter, and I asked you what happened to him. Like I often do when you mention players that you used to play with. And you thought that you had heard that he was suffering from some pretty bad concussion symptoms. But what you did say was, if he's listening, to reach out to you. And guess what? Uh, He reached out to you. Uh, It sounds like his brother, uh, David, listens to the podcast. And thank you for listening. And uh, so Paul sent a really nice email to you. And I'll just read the part that applies to how he's doing. So he said, uh, I wanted to make one correction. I am very fit mentally and physically. There are no concussion symptoms at all. And then he made a joke. I know that this is difficult to believe, lol. So uh, thanks for reaching out to us. And it's good news that he's doing great. Uh, It's good that you uh, asked him to to reach out if if you were incorrect. Paul, apologize for that. And, uh, you know, I did hear that. It wasn't, I think I heard that. I did hear that. And, and honestly, I can't remember my source, but it was a hockey player. You know, not talking to Paul direct for, I don't know how many years. You know, I looked at his career. He was always physical, even since junior hockey, 16, 17, 18, 19. Tough games. Paul would come out of nowhere and run the biggest guy in the other team, which, of course, that would piss that guy off. And a few other guys, and they'd be coming after Paul every night. And this happened for 15 years. Paul would show up all the time. Right out of nowhere, he'd run somebody. 
Sometimes he paid the price. Sometimes the other guy paid the price. So when you're that physical, I couldn't say I was surprised when somebody said Paul's having some problems because he showed up every night. But Paul really is such good news, and I'm so glad that you reached out and set the record straight. Paul is healthy, living in Nashville with, uh, I believe he said, three children, and all is well. Paul, all the best. Keep listening to the podcast, and uh, I apologize for that. And again, good news. And I believe you asked if he would uh, come on the show. Right. And so, you know, Chris and I, we're going to branch out. I've got a list of hockey players that have contacted me. I've had their numbers. There's others that if 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 uh, you if we know each other, even if we don't know each other and you want to be on my podcast, please get a hold of me and uh, let's talk and get me a phone number. And um, if you're an interesting person, we'll definitely get you on the show. So we're going to start doing that. I can't tell you when we're going to start doing that, but we will start getting people on there. And, uh, you know, hopefully... You know, I could uh, find out a few things that uh, would be of interest uh, for the individual that I'm talking to that he's willing to or she's willing to share, and uh, we can go from there. But, yeah, I think that'll be fun, and I'm actually looking forward to talking to a few of my old buddies. So it seems like every episode you have to talk about somebody that passed in uh, the hockey world, and one of the most recent uh, people is Ted Green, and I know you made a note of wanting to specifically uh, talk about him and uh, his accomplishments and him as a man. You know, Teddy played when there was six teams. He played for Boston Bruins, and his nickname was Terrible Teddy. He was a tough, tough boy. He showed up every night. When there were six teams, they didn't wear helmets, and there was bench brawls on a regular basis. And if you've ever been in a bench brawl, if you've happened to watch it on TV, or you've been at a game with both teams empty, it is empty onto the ice. It's chaos. These referees can't break up the six, seven fights that are going on. And so Teddy was not a big man at all. But Teddy was tough and he would show up. And unfortunately, I believe it was 1967 or thereabouts, followed by the name of Wayne Mackey. They got into an argument of some sort and uh, he got struck over the head two-handed over the head with a hockey stick. He ended up with a steel plate uh, put in his head. He still continued to play hockey, and I played against Teddy in the world hockey. And he was not terrible Teddy anymore. He was a guy who loved the game, still playing, getting a paycheck, and I was not about to try to play a tough guy role and uh, go around Teddy to show how tough I was. I left Teddy alone. I just respected this, the man so much that he kept playing even with his plate in his head. Of course, he had a helmet on now. But where I got to know Teddy was just through the Oiler organization. We'd be at different functions together, and he was an inventor. He invented, like, I don't know about in the States, but in Canada. At one time, you go to any of the local hockey rinks, and uh, they have skate sharpening machines in there. Teddy was telling me that that's something he invented and he got out to market and he had a couple of the products. And uh, Teddy did pretty well for himself financially with his inventions and he stayed in hockey for a long time after because other people enjoyed Teddy and he had something to offer the younger guys. So he was a coach, assistant coach and so on. So Ted did pretty well. But where I really admire the man 
is, in my mind, he was a man's man. I looked up to the, and I can't say that about a lot of people. I respect a lot of people, and I don't really have an idol, but Teddy Green, if I had an idol, Teddy would have been it. Teddy was somebody who volunteered his time in Edmonton at a place called, the, I believe it's the Mustard Seed. And that's where people that are down and out, you know, they can come and uh, get fed. And uh, I think they, they're given toiletry and some clothing and mitts for the winter and hats. And, you know, Teddy would show up year after year after year at the, at the, at the Mustard Seed. And he would be behind the table feeding everybody. And Teddy never looked for publicity for doing this. And that's where I admire him. Because we all see somebody that's doing something for somebody else or an organization. They want everybody to know it. They want to get credit in the paper. And I know a politician here in Edmonton, this lady that used to work for me, she had asked, she had mentioned that her group had asked this politician out from Edmonton come out and speak at such an engagement. And the first thing this politician said, well, is there going to be any TV cameras there? Because if there are, then I'll show up. And I don't like that person anymore after I heard that. And so Teddy was the opposite. He wasn't looking for publicity, but he was doing the right thing because it came from his heart. I found out about it. Other people found out about it. And we need more people like Teddy in this world. And, uh, Teddy, I wish I got to know you a little bit better, but God bless you, buddy. So in terms of social media, sometimes you're pretty active, sometimes you're not. I think it's, you just want to tweet or Facebook or Instagram when you have something to say of interest. Um, And so I believe about a week ago, there was an article that came out from uh, regarding an ex-hockey player, Donald Brashear who was photographed working at Tim Hortons. And if you're not familiar with Tim Hortons, it's like a fast food place, really popular in Canada. And uh, a lot of people were kind of poking fun and criticizing. And you put out a tweet basically saying that that's ridiculous and that if someone was down and out and trying to fix themselves, that you should be proud and supporting and your tweet got a lot of traction, and a lot of people commented and gave you kudos. So do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, what you wrote? Well, you know, basically, when you get a man that, uh, and we'll just use the mean sports, he got to the highest possible level in the game of hockey. And he lasted a long time, and he put a lot of games in the NHL. I've said many times before, being the fighter on a team, it, today you don't have fighters on a team per se. Back on when I played, there would be three, four, five really tough guys. And some teams would just send these guys out to jump on you. And it was not a lot of fun. You had to do what you had to do. And that was the same as Donald Brashear. You know, I don't, I don't know him. I've never met him. I know all about him. I've seen some of his fights on YouTube. But the point being is, when you are on the top, and for whatever reason, I had read that there was maybe a drug dependency, he got divorced. I think he doesn't have, he went through an awful lot of money, millions, from the day he played. Well, we all learn a lot of lessons in life, and I tend to learn a lot of my lessons the hard way. But what I admire about Donald Bashir is that 
he swallowed his pride. Instead of not supporting himself, he just said, you know what? I'm willing to go behind the counter at Tim Hortons, get minimum wage. But this is what I got to do to put money in the bank and pay bills. And he swallowed his pride and he showed up and he did it. And I don't think anybody should be making fun of somebody like that. He did the right thing. And hopefully, you know, he could get some support and uh, get himself back on his feet. But Donald, my hat's off to you. You're doing what you got to do. You're swallowing your pride. I admire you more than ever for doing that, buddy. So way to go. And we'll pivot a little bit to your pal, Tom Laidla. And spoilers if you're waiting for them to watch the latest episode of Survivor. But what happened, Dad? Well, I got to say, that's the only reason I was watching Survivor. Because my buddy Tom was on there. And when you know somebody personally and you know what his personality's like, he's a very likable, honest fella. Just the kind of guys that I like. And I thought he was going to do pretty well. But in a game like Survivor, there were so many snakes in there because everybody's got to take care of themselves. When it came down to the final vote, it was almost unanimous. Tom had one ally and they picked one person to vote out. Every other person, and I'm going to say maybe six, seven others, they voted, put Tom's name down. That pissed me off. It's only a game show, but still... I don't think I'm going to watch it anymore because my buddy Tom is not on there. Uh, It's not that he didn't play the game well. It's just maybe they thought he was a threat. They called him an old guy. Tom could have cleaned their clock for being an old guy. The guys that were there, some of the girls chirping him. And you know, when you call somebody an old guy, you got to remember, every single one of you out there is going to be old one day. Every single one. So you could throw the old joke. I get it at work all the time. Oh, you're the old guy. Okay, I am. But inside, I know every single person that's chirping me or chirping Tom, they're going to be old one day. That's just life. And so, uh, Tom, you did the best you could. I know you didn't see it coming. You handled yourself with class on the way out. You thanked everybody. And uh, Tom, we want you on our podcast, buddy. So talk to you soon. And Tom has his own podcast. It's called, I believe, uh, True Grit Life. So uh, we recommend you check out Tom's podcast. And speaking of podcasts, we want to thank you for all your reviews. And uh, Dad, I'll read you a couple. So the first one comes from Rocky 10 And he says, love the pure and honest behind-the-scenes stories. A must-listen podcast for anyone that has played the game. Fans of hockey get a privileged glimpse into the lives and times of hockey that is rarely seen. Keep up the great work, Cam and Chris. And then the other one is from Bill. It's a very nice one for you, Dad. He says, Cam is one of the classiest people you will ever meet, and this podcast does a great job of capturing him in all his glory. If you are a fan of the NHL, hockey in general, or just a good yarn, then you need to listen to this podcast. Do you know what a good yarn is? I don't know. Maybe it means a good story. Probably so. I didn't know if I was reading like an autocorrector or something. Regardless, we appreciate uh, the reviews. And if anyone hasn't reviewed the podcast yet, we'd really appreciate it. And uh, before I forget, you can always follow Dad on social media, Cam Connor NHL on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, we have shirts and hats and lots of merchandise on our website, viewfromthepenaltybox.com.
calm. And, and you notice that we don't read any of the negative ones. So if if I don't think we got any negative ones, to be honest with you. But you know, it's nice. It's always nice. We we don't get paid for doing this, and there's nothing in it for us. We we enjoy telling some stories, getting some feedback, and that's our reward. So you know, it's nice if somebody takes the one minute or two minutes to just send something positive. It keeps us going. So we'll answer some quick questions. The first one comes from Ricky on Twitter, and he wants to know if you have any stories, and he lists three players, Jeff Brubaker, Archie Henderson, and Gary Risley. Risley. And, you know, when you play against somebody, you kind of know them. And so when you see each other out on the street or at the practice, you kind of say hello. And the only thing, you know, that I remember about Brubaker, he was a big boy. Like, he was pretty... He, he was pretty thick up top. He was a big boy, and uh, he played an aggressive game. He was, in my mind, you know, an average fighter, but he fought some of the tougher guys, too. He got beat up, but, I mean, he showed up. And, again, I always use that phrase, you show up. And that that's the mark of somebody that I respect. You know you might get thumped, but, hey, I got to do it. I got to be a man. So he showed up, and I respect that. And the only thing, and, and again, I, I've, I've mentioned this in one of my podcasts, I'm pretty sure, is when I played for the Rangers farm team, we were in Tulsa, and the team folded after X amount of weeks. It wasn't very long. And I know my wife, Sherilyn, stayed in Tulsa, and we ended up playing every single game on the road that year. And we were based out of a hotel in Denver, and Brubaker played for the, the local team, which I believe was the Calgary Flames farm team, based in Denver. And uh, there was... A, a guy that when you go on the ice, you have to walk by him. He's a fan. And he was so rude. And he knows as a hockey player, you can't do anything to him because you get sued. And so we had to put up with this rude guy oh, game in and game out. Every time we went by him, you know, he'd say something to everybody and calling him down. And you just want to drill him, but you can't. So there was a fight in the stands. And, uh, you know, that's the one I told you. George McPhee was involved in some other players. Long story short, Brubaker and I got a hold of each other on the ice, and uh, we went near the boards, and uh, that fan that none of us liked pulled out a gun, because he felt when the fight was going on in the stands that it would work its way over to him, and they would come after him. So he pulled out a gun, and both Brubaker, and I saw it first, and I said to Brubaker, look at this, and he looked, and we both got a hold of the referee, and as it worked out, that guy that pulled the gun out was an ex-cop, and so they arrested three of our players after the game. But uh, that's that's a little bit about Brubaker. Should I ask you how he's doing now? <laughs> Do you know? <laughs> Jeff, if you're listening, you know how to get a hold of me, but I, I, I haven't heard anything about Jeff, no. Um, Archie Henderson. Archie was a, a big boy, tall, little on the thin side. And I didn't know him at all. I just knew his stats. I knew the teams he played for from junior into the minor leagues. I think, and I'm not sure about this, I think he played a little bit in the NHL. And maybe he played more than a little bit. I just haven't looked up his stats. You know, I just looked at him as the fighter. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say the word goon. But he was always mixing it up. But, you know, having said that, when you're as big as Archie, and you don't get physically involved, then you might as well be a little guy. So, you know, he did what he had to do. 
And I was up in the press box at an Oilers game, and it has its own elevator to get up there. So me and my guests, we were coming down the elevator, and there's another gentleman in there. And this guy reached out. He's carrying a briefcase, and he said, Cam, Archie Henderson, you know what? That little short ride down the elevator. Now, I always wondered. I said, how did he get these scouting jobs with Washington and these other teams? And I've always wanted to do that, and I was a little envious. And I said, well, how does he do that? Well, you know what? That little elevator ride down, right away, I saw his personality come out. You know, that's why he got his scouting job, because, you know, he did what he had to do. But what a personality on the guy. He's outgoing and friendly, and he smiles. I walked out of there, changed my mind about Archie. What a very, very good man. So that's all I can say about Archie. I didn't know him personally, but I was very impressed in that short little elevator ride, what a person he was. Gary Wisling. Gary, I believe, is from Edmonton. He wasn't a big guy. I met him in the minors, and uh, he would be a shit disturber on you. He's always looking for fights and that. And so back in my day, I honestly, I could uh, look at you, and I knew if I could take you. And so he came at me, he wanted to fight me. I'd clean, I'd clean the ice with that guy behind the net. He showed up. We had a fight. The pecking order was decided. You know, Gary Wrestling has a lot of friends. A lot of people like them. And again, you know what? I appreciated the fact that I, I outweighed him by a lot. I was a lot taller. But he said, let's go. And, you know, I beat him. And that's the only time we fought. And, uh, Gary, I hope things are going well for you. And you can play on my team any day of the week, buddy. So we have a, an email from Bob who emailed view from the penalty box at gmail.com and wrote, Hello, Cam and Chris. Cam, I would like your opinion on this. I recently saw a post on Instagram that Connor McDavid, Nurse, Nugent Hopkins, and a few other Oiler team members were over at Jordan Eberle's house hanging out the day before their game against each other. Isn't that fraternizing with the enemy? I know they were former teammates and probably friends, but Cam, would you ever consider hanging out with former teammates the night before playing against them? What are your thoughts? You know what, buddy? I agree with you. I Times have changed. I, I'm watching the World Series, and I see the runner uh, from Houston on first base talking away to the first baseman. And I'm saying to myself, that's the other team. You're in a World Series championship. What are you doing talking to the other team? That's just not how I was taught how you deal with the other team. I, I guess it's an individual thing. But in the NHL, they told us in the warm-ups, you know, we got one half the ice, they got the other team's got the other half. And don't be standing at center ice talking. And if you're caught doing that, you get fined. And so if somebody was going to talk to a friend on the other team, you kind of both put your stick on your, on your shin pad, on your knees, and you bend over and you talk towards the ground so nobody can really see your mouth moving. And you tried to be sneaky about it. But even that, you didn't do that too much. Would I go over to a friend's house for supper? You know what, if it was somebody I really liked and respected, I probably would. But it's like a lot of tough guys tell you. When the game starts, I'm going to run that guy pretty well, just as hard as anybody else. Just like Doug Riseborough. Um, friends with Doug Riseborough, uh, I think he's a wonderful man. But when I played for Edmonton, we get back to Montreal. He was chirping on the ice and calling me down. And so 
I come right after him, and he did what he wanted to do. He wanted me to take two minutes, but I didn't drop my gloves or stick. And he dropped to his knees, and he was hanging around my, hanging onto my ankles. I didn't do anything. He got up all embarrassed. You know, but we're friends. But when you get on the ice, he's on one team and I'm on the other. And friendship usually doesn't come into the picture. But that's my day. These guys today, you know, if uh, they can separate it, they can be buddies off the ice. They get on the ice. They play like they don't know the guy. Then I suppose it's okay, but I don't know if anybody back in my day that would go to somebody else's house for supper. But it's a whole different league. Nobody hits anybody anymore. It's it's a part that, I'm not saying you got to fight, but it's just not aggressive anymore. So they're just playing hockey back and forth. So maybe it's okay today. I, I, that's my opinion anyways. And so we have a question. Our last question for this episode, we'll make it a quick one today, is from Gord. And he direct messaged you on Instagram. And he wants to know, let me just find it. So he wants to know if you think that goalies drop on their knees more than when you played. Without a doubt they do, Gord. Um, first of all, the goalies are friggin' monsters today. Back in my day, Kenny Dryden was a big goalie. You know, but he's, he's he. I'm going to say 6'3", maybe, Kenny's in that area. And now the Oilers have got goalies 6'8", six, 6'7". Six, and that's, you know... That's almost the norm. These are huge, some of these goalies. And they got big equipment on. And today, they make sure they got their angle right. They stay square to the shooter. There is not a lot to shoot off. I mean, you shoot and you'll hit him in the chest, in the shoulder, in the pads. And so they're down on their knees and they still cover a lot of that empty net. When I played smaller goaltenders... They were taught, do not go down on your knees. Stay on your feet. You're more agile. You can go across the net a lot quicker. And in fact, you know, a lot of the goalies wanted to go down, and they got in trouble from the coaches and the goalie coaches. Get off your knees. Get off your knees. Challenge them and move around in the net. Stay on your feet. And they got to the point where they would actually tie like a hockey string, hockey lace, Around this guy's back, I don't know, I don't know what's around his neck, but maybe on the back of his equipment, and tie it to the goal, um, to the crossbar. And so, if the goalie was getting into it and he wanted to go down, that that hockey lace would prevent him from dropping to his knees, almost like a friendly reminder. So they did everything they could to get this goalie to, or the goalies to stay on their feet back in the day, play the angles, be a lot more agile. And, uh, you know, you used to see when there were shots taken, the goalies would stick out their foot and turn it kind of sideways and deflect the puck into the corner. You never see a skate save like you used to say see back in the day. <coughs> but it's a different game today, way bigger goalies, so there's a different strategy. Again, there were tiny goalies, and if you went down on your knees like you see today, way too much empty net there, and you were in, you were dead in the water if you were down. So just because of the size of the goalies, I believe that's why they're just like a big square in front of you now. And I'll just add a question. Of all the goalies that you played for or in front of, who was the best goalie, would you say? 
You know, when I was with the Oilers, I just missed playing with uh, Grant Fuhr. He was outstanding, outstanding goalie. And, you know, when you win, I think Kenny Dryden won four or five Stanley Cups out of seven, eight years that he was there. Um, that can't be an accident. You maybe win one, you had a good playoff. And Kenny did it consistently, consistently. And so you have to put Kenny up as one of the best goalies for his times. You know, there was others, you know, in the league that were really good. But Kenny, I got to We just knew when you played with Montreal, you know, we were taught how to play without the puck. And so we had a job to do. And if you didn't do it, Bowman and that sourpuss face would come over and give you hell. So, you know, we made sure that we would help the goalie out. And if you got, if the forwards, if the puck got behind the forwards, well, then try to get by our, we had big defensemen back in those days as compared to other teams. And uh, they were really good. They were like pillars back there. If you were lucky enough to get past those guys, we always knew Kenny Dryden will stop that puck. You know, he didn't stop everything. But you just knew that Kenny would stop the puck. And uh, he didn't disappoint most of the time. So I, I got to say for myself, it would be Kenny Dryden. And again, it's not just because, you know, I like him as a person. His record speaks for himself. He was outstanding. And the last thing I'll say about goalies, typically in a practice, you got to learn how to pick top corners. And it's pretty easy to do when there's no goalie in net. But when there's a goalie in net, that's when you got to learn how to pick a top corner. In every team I ever played for, if you tried to pick a top corner and you hit the goalie in the face, in the mask, who he'd get bad. And honestly, he'd stop what he was doing and he'd pick up his stick like a, he's going to hit you like a club. And he's chasing you around the rink. He's so mad. And with the Montreal Canadian goalies, Kenny Dryden and uh, Bunny LaRock, his name was, the guys would get in the slot and take slap shots and hit these guys right in the face. And they would just shake their head and uh, they didn't make a big deal of it. They knew their job was to stop pucks and uh, we never did it on purpose. But it was so much appreciated. You just knew these guys wanted to play net and they didn't chase you around and make a big deal of it. And I'm sure it hurt them just as much as the guys chasing you. But they were more focused on, you know, stopping the puck. And so, God bless you, Kenny. You were a great goalie and uh, got a Stanley Cup ring because of you and the other 18, 19 team members. So, thank you very much. Okay, until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam. Thank you very much.